Please note, if you're listening to this, you must be 18 years of age or older. This podcast contains adult themes and may include descriptions that listeners could find offensive. Thank you. River occupies an ambiguous space, a third space that puts her in the position of an anti-heroine. She is dangerous cargo for the crew of Serenity to transport. Karen Beeler from her book, Seers, Witches, and Psychics on Screen. Welcome to the Kinky Nerdy Polly Podcast. This is episode 19. Howdy y'all, this is G. Just stopped my space cows from being rustled by some space cow rustlers. Just want to let you know this episode is going to contain spoilers for the first and only season of the TV show Firefly. I'm G. I'm M. And go ram it, we're going to be talking about Firefly today. <laughs> So this is a topic that M chose. Indeed, I did choose Firefly, the TV show, for the topic, our nerdy topic. I'm a longtime fan of the show. I didn't watch it when it first aired, like most people, because <laughs> it got canceled. <laughs> but I've been a fan pretty close to the beginning. I have the full series on DVD and have watched it many times, including with the director's commentary. I believe this is the first time that Em has watched it. I did try to watch it before, actually. I tried to watch it once through, and it didn't stick with me. Okay. I just, I watched the first episode, and I think I might have gotten through, like, the second episode, a little bit of the second episode, and I was just like, this isn't really sticking. But then when you said that you really enjoyed it, and I was like, you know what? I could consider retrying that. And I'm really glad that I did, because actually, on the time that we watched it, I connected with it more. And I'm glad I stuck with it a little bit longer. Okay. Of course, I also remember you being like, once you started getting into the show, you're like, oh, I can't wait to finish the season. I was like, well, finish this half a season. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate that I get it, it got canceled. Of course, I was used to hearing all of my friends, you know, say they were really sad that it got canceled and that I only had half a season or whatever. And... I can see now why people were really upset about that. Yeah. Did you want to give a little bit of a background just for those listeners who might not be familiar with the show as to what the general premise is? Well, before we get into that, I do want to talk about something which we'll probably touch upon in the future in other nerdy topics, or have other topics just in general, and that is problematic people being involved with stuff we love. So Joss Whedon has been accused of infidelity with his wife and of gaslighting his wife, uh, which has led to a lot of reflection on people who are fans of his work, especially since Joss Whedon promoted himself as a feminist. So I think there is a value to separating an artist from his work or from their, from their work. work. I think there's a value to separating artists from their work. Though obviously it's a case-by-case basis. There are definitely some artists who I can't separate from their work because reasons. (laughs) But I I especially think for something like a TV show or a movie, it's especially valuable to separate an artist from the work because it's not just one artist doing the thing. It is a lot of people poured their talent and 
energy into a project. Absolutely. So um, yeah, even though Joss Whedon might be the well-known name behind it, that doesn't mean that there aren't countless other people who actually really wanted to make this thing a reality. And therefore, the whole thing can still have value. Yeah. So with that out of the way, probably not going to be the last time we'll talk about something that has problematic people involved with it. But And even during this discussion, I will bring up some of the things that I found personally problematic about the show itself. Yeah. Let's talk about the actual show. So Firefly is a space western. So they're spaceships. They go from planet to planet. But a lot of the problems they deal with are very sort of... Uh, they're they're very sort of I don't want to say low tech problems, but very sort of like problems of basics. It's not that they're trying to like go and steal gold. It's they've salvaged food from a wrecked ship, and now they're trying to sell that food because that food is valuable. Or you know they're trying to protect people from raiders. Like the setting is space, but the setting is also about sort of trying to get people through with the basics, if that makes sense. And it sort of has that stereotypical cowboy feel, I guess, to some of it, where you can draw those Western kind of lines. Yes. The show itself, Joss Whedon said that a big inspiration for the show was the post-Civil War Reconstruction era, specifically the novel The Killer Angels, which I have not read. I have not either. But that's what Joss Whedon has said, is that that was a big inspiration for the show. So with that out of the way, for people who have not watched the show, Em, why don't you give us us some of your impressions of the show? My overall impression is pretty favorable. Like I said, I'm glad that I really stuck through watching this with you. For me, my personal reading on the show is that the main character... And the main premise of the story really revolves around River. And she is the sister to a doctor on the ship. She is kind of traumatized and, quote, psychotic, unquote. She has some of those behaviors that are a little bit troublesome that are the result of abuse in her life. Because of that, she is a relatable character. She's a super genius that she was sort of taken advantage of. Her history relates to me in some ways and can, I'm sure can relate to others in some ways. Not, of course, to the extremes. Well, probably, I hope not to the extremes of which she endured her torment. But it was so deep and emotional that every single episode I was really hoping to see her healing and to see her happiness. And following her through this series was, or this half of a season was rewarding for me. So I guess, like, one of your favorite episodes was the last episode. That's the one where it's from her perspective, right? Yeah. Yeah. I really liked that episode, but there were several other ones where she was involved that I really liked it. Like, when she ends up, and I guess we'll need to put spoiler warnings in in case people haven't seen this, but when she ends up actually killing off some people to protect Kaylee is there. Yeah. And... And to protect herself. So she's not defenseless. And even though she was conditioned, she was brainwashed into being sort of this killing machine by her abusers, she can now turn it into something positive and good. She can use it as a force for good, even though it scares her and it terrifies her. But at the same time, she's not weak. 
So I think that episode also had a strong impact on me. Okay. Now, one thing I would like to touch upon, because this was very interesting to watch your reaction to this character, is the character of Malcolm Reynolds. Yeah, Malcolm Reynolds, of course, he's the captain of the ship, right? Mm -hmm. And he is what I assume most people would latch on to as a main character, as a primary character in the show, because he's kind of running the ship. Yeah. And he's the boss. I think he's a fucking asshole. Quite honestly. And he, he has a poor attitude. He makes poor decisions. In particular, one of the things, his attitude towards Inara, who is a, a sex worker on this ship, that, which is, they're called companions. Yes. He has obviously some history with her, but he is absolutely, treats her horrendously. I think that he made choices to have some people on his crew that he shouldn't have. That if I were in his shoes, I wouldn't have made those choices. So that's my overall impression of him. So I find this very interesting, partially because I think your conception of Malcolm Reynolds is actually much more in line with how Joss Whedon originally conceived the character. So I have listened, again, I have listened to all the director's commentaries for all the various episodes. So in the original pilot, the crew is much more anti-hero than heroes. And Joss Whedon kind of makes the point that by the second episode, which is the train job, the crew from the original pilot episode would not have returned the medicine. They would have just gotten the job done because they were more anti-heroes than heroes. But the notes they got from the network was like, we don't want them to be anti-heroes. We want them to be hero heroes. So part of retooling the series a bit was making them more heroic. I think another thing that makes it very hard to dislike Malcolm Reynolds is that Nathan Fillion is just a very charismatic actor and plays him very sympathetically, which is why I think a lot of people really love Malcolm Reynolds. So it was very interesting to see how you viewed Malcolm Reynolds compared to how I think most people viewed Malcolm Reynolds. Yeah, I think overall I have a very different take on the whole story and feeling of the characters because, again, in my mind, River is the central character and Malcolm is just an asshole in the background. Yeah. One thing that I wanted to touch upon before we get into maybe some heavier discussion about the show or more deep thoughts is that I really, linguistically, I really like the choice of having Mandarin Chinese being like scattered throughout the show. Yeah. And in fact, it was very common to hear people easily code switching between English and Chinese. I thought that was that was a really interesting choice and I enjoyed that. Yeah, I I think they did a good job of both using Chinese to sort of deepen the world building of like, you know, this is a culture which you are not completely familiar with, but also using it as a way to have emotional emphasis for certain scenes, because often they use Chinese in replacement of English curses. I've forgotten, like, what some of the curses they use, but they talk about in the director's commentary. Like, some of the curses are like, you baboon's ass! (laughs) You know, or and some really colorful stuff, which can all like easily sail through uh, TV because it's in Chinese, so most people don't understand the curse. 
So I think they did a good, like, they did a good job of using it at points where it's very obvious what the character meant, despite the fact that you don't know what exactly they said. Right. Like, the emotional value is there. Yes. Yeah, so that was really cool for me. And I agree that it also helped the world building, just like you're saying, yeah. So, really liked River. Uh, Yeah. Really disliked Malcolm. Malcolm. What about Anara? I love her character. Absolutely love her character. First of all, she's a sex worker. It's awesome that they even have a sex worker in the show who is so highly valued. Technically the most respectable person on the ship. She is technically that. But I have now delved into some like queer critiques and some feminist critiques of her character. Okay. And there are, unfortunately, a lot of problematic ways with how her character is treated. Something, and we can link to this article in the show notes... There's a very good critique, which was written during, I guess, Bisexual Representation Week or something. And it's on a website called Bitch Flicks. And it talks about how, ultimately, even though we have this bisexual character, because Inara has admitted to having sexual attraction towards women and men, the overarching sexuality is heteronormative. So most of her clients are male, and even she says that. She has only one on-screen female romance the entire, I know it's just half a season, but still, I do think, you know, if there had been a full season or if there had been more time, they could have possibly explored her bisexuality more. It unfortunately got cut short. Yes. So that sucks and maybe it could have been developed. But overall, there are a lot of problematic ways in which she was treated, you know, again, by Malcolm that actually kind of almost reinforced those traditional values. And again, just that lack of really like playing up her bisexuality in a good way. Instead, they just kind of let it be this background thing. Well, I also think they kind of, instead of, so for our listeners, I have not read this article and has read it and added it to the show notes. So I'll let you talk about it more. But from what I remember of that episode, it's really sort of played up for the male gaze. It's not that Anara just has a female client that she is sexually attracted to. It's not every male member of the crew, but a lot of the male members of the crew sort of ogle at it and... Make jokes about, I'm going to go fap to this, basically. Yeah, which admittedly is a very funny line, Mm -hmm. but, you know... um, I'll be in my bunk. Yeah. I haven't really thought about it before, but I can definitely see some of the problematic aspects to it now that you mention it. Yeah, I think that's a good point that you bring up, too, about the male gaze situation, because that always... Yeah, that definitely bothered me, the fact that they were all like, oh, that's so hot, and just, like, focusing on... Like... Yeah, it's 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 very objectifying in that way. Something else that's mentioned in this article that I find interesting and also something that I read into the show personally as a queer person was Inara and Kaylee's like kind of little R relationship. So they are not explicitly in any kind of relationship. They have a friendship, but there are moments where there's almost this tension that you can see between them, this romantic tension that I feel like also could have been a little bit more explored. So this author cites the time that they're sort of playing with each other's hair. Okay. And talk about sex and love. And so you're these two women who are sort of engaging in this very affectionate act together. 
and it could have been romantic and or sexual. It doesn't have to be, of course, could just be close friendship. But I do also think that that's something that's at least could have evolved it a little bit. What do you think about that? So that's something I haven't really considered before. I've always thought of Kaylee's and Anar's relationship as kind of like being big sister, little sister, with Anar's kind of being the big sister. Mm -hmm. Kaylee has, for the majority of the series, has a huge crush on Simon. And keeps on trying to figure out ways to sort of entice Simon to chase her. Mm -hmm. And sort of Anara sort of is sympathetic and is supportive and is like, oh, you know, why don't we get you a nice dress? Or why don't we, you know, why don't we go wild and play, you know, wash Mm -hmm. your face, you know, stuff like that. I think it was being very sort of, Anara being sort of very big sister supportive of Kaylee. I can definitely see that reading as well and that's totally valid also. I think that that's a good reading. I do think there's one other thing that this serves though in a bad way and so I'll read the quote from the article. It says of course Kaylee who is just as openly sexual as Anara pines for a man while Anara has conflicted feelings for Malcolm. This is where the show undercuts Anara's sexual freedom further. Anara's interactions with other women, whether openly sexual or hinted, are used primarily to antagonize male into more open declaration of his own feelings. So I also thought that that was interesting because it seems like any kind of female relationships that could be there are just used to further prod male. Mm. I think I might disagree with the author of this article on that point because... I think she prods Mal with her other male relationships a lot more than... Of course, of course. Than with the other... Because she takes on the female client, I think, just kind of because... Just Yeah, because she really wants to. And Malcolm doesn't even know about it until the client arrives on the ship. And with Kaylee, like, again, I see it much more as being, like, big sister, little sister, and... Malcolm kind of jokes about, hey, can you braid my hair? But he's not, like, off-put by Anara and Kaylee's relationship. I can see both perspectives. You already mentioned the problematic fetishization. Going back to our episode on fetishes, this author also brings up the inappropriate behavior that the male people on this ship sort of have to fetishize Anara's relationship with a woman. So we've kind of already talked about that. And yeah, I think that that is something that the the fetishization of her queerness is particularly awful. Is there anything else you want to bring up from this article? There's a lot. It just goes on to sort of in the same bit with the female client that she has. It says that despite the fact that Inara is sort of set up as this character who gets to pick and choose who her clients are, remember again, she's normally with male clients overwhelmingly. She even mentions that. It says that, or this author says that, you know, Anara is not actually a queer woman with the autonomy to choose her clients, even though the show tries to tell us that. Instead, her request for privacy and respect, especially with the female client, is ignored, and the show fetishizes her relationship, mirroring sort of the in-universe delight just demonstrated by the observers, as we've mentioned. So Inara's behavior isn't her private choice, but meant to be publicly consumed for the the titillation of both Mal and Jane and the audience of the show. So I think that you kind of were on point with that bit. There's a lot more in this article on fetishization and specifically the fetishization of Inara's queerness. 
So I will let the listeners go and read the whole thing, because there's a lot of good stuff in there. So we've brought up two other characters, Simon and Kaylee. Do, do you have any thoughts about them? Or Yeah, absolutely. Simon is the doctor and, of course, the brother of River, who, of course, in my mind, is the main character of the show. So Simon is deeply, deeply important. I really like him. He's very well-intentioned. I had seen a little bit when I was doing some research for this podcast episode that there are some people who kind of theorize that Simon inadvertently made his sister's trauma worse, which they said by, like, keeping her frozen for longer could have done that. I mean... I feel like that's kind of a hypothetical about a a future tech that doesn't exist. It's very, very hypothetical. But I guess the idea is that if she had been awake, she could have been processing her traumas. Whereas when she's in that sort of state, she's unable to process the things that happened to her. Yeah. They're like anchoring themselves more in her mind. I'm I'm not sure if you have any idea. I mean, I guess I kind of get where they're coming from, but I also kind of feel like this is a car accident on the freeway kind of situation. It's like, yes, ideally, you do not want to move the injured person, but if they're in the middle of the freeway, you need to get them off the freeway. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a good point. I did like Simon a lot. I mean, he he's one of my favorite characters because he risks everything. He gives up his family. He gives up his sort of medical... Acclaim? Acclaim, yeah. I was going to say fame, but acclaim is a little bit better. His medical acclaim, he puts everything at risk to save his sister. And, you know, she was sending him those letters with, like, codes written in them, and he was able to decipher them, even though his parents, I think, were saying, like, oh, no, it's really fine. He, like, knew. He was like, no, I have to get her out. I have to rescue her. And he does, and that's so admirable. I just, his whole character is amazing. And I do think he he does a a good job taking care of his sister. He doesn't always succeed, but he's really trying. Yeah. I think actually he has one of my favorite character-defining moments. I don't think it's character-building, but really defines his character in the point where he finds out that Jane betrayed them, and then Jane becomes injured, and he, he talks to Jane, and he's like, I know, and right now... There is nothing you could do to stop me from hurting you because you're injured right now. I have all the power in this situation, but I just want to let you know you'll never be in danger from me on this table. When you are here, I am going to heal you. Yep. Because I don't want to be locked in this cycle of vengeance and betrayal because Frankly, I've got too much other shit to worry about. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And it's that cycle that he's breaking through, that pattern of violence, that I think could be... We could could extend that to the world at large or in our own situations, our own relationships or our own whatever it is. Sometimes just like... There's, there's this feeling right now, especially in leftist communities and in queer communities, like we want justice. We want, you know... And sometimes justice isn't just getting back at the person. Sometimes it's not just that, oh, like, you know, Jane betrayed them and did an awful, terrible thing, and he could have done something terrible back, but instead he chooses to, not in that, like, stereotypical rise above it kind of way, like, love conquers everything kind of thing, whatever, you know? Yeah. 
but in a real way, in a way of like, I could do some shit to you and I'm hurting and what you did was awful, but that's not what I'm going to choose, even though I could choose that. So I think, yeah, that's a very powerful situation for sure. It also makes me think of another character that obviously is one of my favorites. Do tell. Shepherd Book. I have a feeling that Shepherd Book is one of your favorites. Oh yeah. So he and River also have an amazing tension, which I love because River is the logical, she's very much like science brain, math brain, logic brain, and Shepherd Book is this presumed religious guy. Of course, we don't really, there are some questions about what he really is. Uh, oh, and I should note for everybody listening that I haven't seen the movie. Yes. So I've seen the show, but I haven't seen the movie. That um, may be a future episode, but... It might be a future episode, yes. I will actually bring up one of my favorite quotes by Shepherd Book. So there was this wonderful encounter between River and Shepherd Book where she's trying to fix the Bible or whatever holy book it is that he has. And he's like, what are you doing? Like, and she's like trying to fix the inconsistencies and whatever of this sacred text. And he goes like, that it's not about fixing it, right? So this is his quote that I've written down because I love it so much. Faith is not about making sense. It's about believing in something and letting that belief be real enough to change your life. You don't fix faith, it fixes you. And as a religious person myself, that just deeply resonated with me. So his character is relatable on a religious and spiritual level, even though apparently he's not actually... Well, I mean, all sorts of people become religious later in life. But I suspected for a couple of reasons why you would like Shepherd Book is that so there was some tension behind the scenes between how Shepherd, how the actor was playing Shepherd Book because the actor is actually Buddhist. I didn't know that. So he was kind of playing his character more as a Buddhist. And the directors kept on trying to push him more towards being like a Catholic or a Christian. Interesting. Uh, preacher. Okay. Well, actually, I think he did a great job of being a Christian slash Catholic preacher. However, I probably could have picked up on some of those Buddhist vibes, even though I had no idea that he was Buddhist. I still think he did a fantastic job, though. Yes. Personally. I think, looking back, you can definitely see a little bit of sort of the Buddhist philosophy being... Like undertones. Yeah. Yes. You're right. Yeah, so he, he really resonated with me for that, and... I loved him juxtaposed against River's character. Because mm -hmm. those two characters are definitely, yeah, top two for me. Seeing them play off of each other was splendid. Right. And Shepard Shepherd also really cares for River. Yeah. And really tries to take care of her. So. And I think even River grows a fondness for him. Yeah. I mean, there there's definitely a moment where she comforts him during, like... I forget which episode, but there's like an episode where like, it looks like Shepard's about to lose some faith. And, right. But River like sort of comforts him because... Right. Yeah. Going back to that last episode that you had brought up where, you know, we get to see everything from River's perspective. 
was definitely, it was definitely a good episode. And I was thinking about the power of that episode too, because she sort of like pretends to be the ship. Yes. But actually, like, I didn't know that she was pretending. I mean, like, if I, I think I could have like worked it out that obviously this wasn't possible in this world. She's not actually the ship, but I let myself explore that with her. And that in a, that also had a spiritual feeling to it almost like you know almost that she sacrificed her life and now she's part of the ship and you know the river as we knew her was is dead and uh it just i i really liked that even though in the end she was you know just playing this prank essentially yeah i mean i think it's deliberate especially if you're watching it if you're watching it for the first time there's a question of like how far are they willing to push this sci-fi because so far they've been pretty grounded there's ships there's some laser guns but that's kind of been it and they kind of tease like what kind of powers like river might have but that was like really sort of like wait how far are they actually going to go with the science fiction <laughs> like are they actually going to go like right uh... did she actually become part of the ship yeah but in the end it was a logical to our standards, logical answer. Yeah. Um, that presented itself, which goes along with her character very well. So, yeah. Okay. Let's see. We've kind of touched upon Kaylee, but I don't think we really talked we didn't about really talk about her. Yeah. What's interesting about Kaylee is you told me that I reminded you of Kaylee, and you yes. thought that I was going to love her. Mm-hmm. And she does have quite a bubbly, like, optimistic personality, which I can relate to. Yeah. She's not my top favorite obviously i do think she adds a little bit of that cheery optimism though to the crew that is so essential in like their dynamic yes yeah i do feel like whoever you might consider to be the protagonist of the show kaylee is kind of the soul of the group everybody would go ballistic if something happened to kaylee which does happen a couple of times (laughs) yep so yeah Kaylee is one of my favorite characters. And you do remind me a lot of Kaylee. But I can also see why River is your favorite character. I think they could have... I mean, I would have liked to have a little bit of a deeper story with Kaylee. I don't think we really get that so much. A little... Every once in a while, we do get a little bit. I did... I actually sort of liked her exploring a romance with Simon. I thought that that was well done. Obviously, we don't get to see much of it. Yeah. But I think seeing her pursue that allowed me to become a little bit more attached to her. Because it started to put her in context. I think I'm okay with her not having a whole lot of pathos in her backstory. There seems to be a little bit of, like, her father never really seemed to know what to do with her. But I'm okay with, like, not everybody in the show like having sort of this dark yeah backstory she didn't really i don't necessarily even mean a dark backstory but even like something to like ground me to her life okay yeah she had a couple of really good quotes that i was like "Ooh, i like that very optimistic and i'm like yeah i would say that (laughs) (laughs) i would definitely say that so then the other characters that we haven't talked about obviously jane yes i don't really want to talk about him yet Okay. Let's leave him for last. All right. Then we have that one other couple 
Zoe and Wash. Wash, Wash the dinosaur guy. Yes. And Zoe is basically Mal's, like, main other person, like, who he relies on. Mal, sorry. I thought you said male for a second. I was like, male's what? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, Ma- sorry. The the vowel is difficult for me. Okay. Mal. 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 There we go. Mal. Yeah. It's very unnatural for me. Mal's um, kind of like... Second in command. Yeah. So she's a super badass and awesome. Yeah. And I really like her. But also same kind of problem with Kaylee. I didn't feel like they flushed her out enough. A little bit. You know, she has that history with male. And she has a really great relationship with Wash that I just adore. Their whole relationship is wonderful. So I love the relationship between Zoe and Wash. Because this is a pet peeve of mine about television in general. I completely understand why they do it. But a lot of TV shows, their entire, what drives audiences is unresolved sexual tension. And like, you can look at, you can look at the statistics, like the moment that like this tension gets resolved, the audience for a show usually plummets. And so I love seeing like actual relationships, relatively healthy relationships but also like going through their own difficulties like there are points where Rosh is like I feel kind of jealous about your relationship with Malcolm Reynolds who is Zoe's work spouse yay get to make connections with other episodes of the podcast yes the work spouse absolutely and that whole episode where Wash basically begs Zoe let me go in your place I can do it and he goes, and it's it's horrendous. You know, he can't do her job. Yeah. And he quickly realizes that. You know, and Zoe comes basically to the rescue, gets Wash out, and, and leaves Malcolm, of course, because he has a, she has to choose. Yes. Which one is she going to save, Wash or Mal? But she knows Mal can handle himself. Yeah. So she's like, I'm getting, you know, my partner out of there. And... That was just such a great episode. Yeah. Them re- and going through their own problems in their relationship. So I really love it when a show like has an actual like couple. Of course, at some point, I'd like to have a show which shows a polyamorous relationship. Relatively healthy, functioning polyamorous relationship. But, you know, we'll have to wait on that. <laughs> yeah. First, we're going to have all the shows about how much drama it is and this and that and jealousy and... And jealousy happens, but I mean, I just think if there is going to be a show in the near future, it's going to show a lot of the bad stuff. Yeah. It's going to show polyamory at its worst. So, yes, I do enjoy Zoe and Wash very much. They have a great dynamic together. Zoe, by herself, is just a badass character. Yeah. And Wash is pretty funny. And Wash is very funny. Dinosaur guy, yeah. Yeah. Some people juggle geese. (laughs) We podcast, some people chuckle geese. Alright, so, last character, or do you want to talk about the ship? Some people consider the ship to be a character in of itself. The ship? Nope. Doesn't feel like a character to me. Alright. <laughs> then, do you want to talk about the last character, Jane? Jane. hmm Jane, Jane, Jane. Jane is the... If there is an antagonist in this show... That is not, like, one of the villains that's just part of, like, you know, their adventures. Because there are a couple of those. Jane is, like, the antagonist, I think, in a lot of ways. Okay. He's sort of, you know, secretly background antagonist. 
because for the most part he just sort of like wants money Mm -hmm. he wants the benefits of doing these jobs he's very selfish he's very egotistical and he's set up that way you know like he's purposefully set up to be this sort of like character that is not very likable yeah uh and that succeeds what i find most annoying about him is his relationship to male because i would not have put him on my crew ever no matter how good he is at doing his job his the the personal work that he needs to do in his life is so evident that i would be like you're not ready for this you need to go see a therapist (laughs) and work out some of your shit first but the problem with that is that male is a stupid asshole so i don't really think it's jane's fault okay you know like i think he has a lot of potential as a human being awesome um but he gets kind of enabled by male is sort of how i feel also that one weird episode where there's that town that worships him yeah Janestown or something yeah jane town is it Janestown. Janestown. and he's worshipped and that was weird but that is like a trope I mean, it's also a trope, but they're also playing off the fact that he is a hero to this town, but he is not a heroic character. And yes. Because from the town's perspective, Jane dropped a bunch of money. Right. While essentially he was their Robin Hood. Right. He stole from the rich, gave to the poor. The man we call Jane. (laughs) Right. There's the whole song. But that contrasts a lot with his personal character. But also, I think to a certain extent, the episode was about when people are stuck in shitty situations, they just need heroes. And heroes are inspiring. Yeah. And Jane became a hero for that. So actually, I did kind of like that episode, even though it was weird. (laughs) I think we've already discussed Jane in terms of the betraying of Simon Simon and River. And I just want to talk a little bit about the fallout from that. So, Mal does find out. Yeah. About the betrayal. And Mal sort of threatens to essentially send Jane straight off the ship. Right out the airlock. Yeah. The long way down. Into space. Yes. (laughs) So, you know, he's in the airlock, right? Yeah. And this is a thing. And Mel's, like, pretty convincing that he's going to do it. Jane's begging for his life. Yeah. And Mel ultimately decides not to do it. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, okay, fine. I agree. We shouldn't kill this guy. I'm not sure if you had to terrify him that much. It was probably effective, but I'm not sure if that was the appropriate way to go about it. Okay. What do you feel about that whole scene? Uh, just give me a second while I recollect the scene. Um, so I think a theme throughout the show is that Malcolm Reynolds sort of considers the crew to be his family, perhaps to a certain unhealthy extent, but I think that's sort of a theme throughout the entire series. And I think you can debate the appropriateness of his actions, but I think the feeling of like, you, like, not only did you try to betray Simon and River, 
you tried to portray this family that I have right. worked really hard to put together. And you could have broken that. And I feel like that's a very sort of... It makes sense in that context. Now, whether that's the actual appropriate reaction that you should do in that situation, I think that can be debated. But I feel it's very true to Malcolm's character to do that in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, and for a while there watching that, I was like, he's going to do it. I was really convinced he was going to do it. So I was a bit relieved when he did not, in fact, kill Jane. Because again, I don't think this... I don't think Jane... I think Jane, like he could have become something. And I think maybe if they didn't get canceled after half of a season, maybe they would have explored Jane's character a little bit more. Maybe he would have gone to therapy. Maybe he would have gotten better, you know? Well. As a human being. Since this is set during the, well, thematically it is set during the post-reconstruction era of the Civil War, I suspect there is no therapy for anybody. But yes, I do think there is a possibility to sort of build Jane towards being a generally sort of more morally good person. Whether that's actually what they would have done, I can't say. But it is certainly a possibility. It is certainly one possible character arc they could have given to him. And I certainly see it more for Jane than I do for Malcolm. Okay. Personally. So are there any standout moments or episodes or... We already talked about River being the ship, which was yeah. great. We already talked about the scene with River repairing the the book or fixing the holy book or whatever, mm-hmm. um, which was key. The whole sort of moment where right before River and Simon get betrayed really stick out in my mind. Sort of Shepard, again, I think it's in that same episode that he sort of says, no, I'm going to be more of a part of this than, they, than you want me to be because... You know, he has this other experience besides being a religious person. And so, you know, they're like, oh, what sort of shepherd knows how to do that? Or like, and it's almost like he wants to be found out, which is something that I always found really cool about his characters. Like in the beginning, he really plays the, I'm just a a religious guy doing my religious duties. And then as the show goes on, he keeps dropping these hints of like, actually, I know how to do this. I know how to do this. And like, this is like insights into my background that he almost wants to be found out, mm-hmm. which I thought was really cool. So I'm trying to think what other moments. I mean, there were just any moments where Rivers having flashbacks to what was done with her was hard for me. And Nara's moments where she's having clients, I found those intriguing. So I will admit, I kind of want to be a Nara. You want to be a Nara. Yeah. You want to be a companion. Uh... Maybe not the companion, but Anara's aesthetic. Oh, her aesthetic. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. I'm not sure if I could pull off Anara's aesthetic, but there's a part of me that's like, really wants to give it a try. <laughs> okay. I will support you in that. I think you could totally rock Anara's aesthetic. She's very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and her outfits are gorgeous. Yes. So, maybe someday... Okay. And I, I aspire to be Shepherd Book. His aesthetic? Yes. Of plain white shirt and black slacks? <laughs> and the priest thing. <laughs> <laughs> you want to rock a priest collar? I don't know what it's called. I do. You Just do. Just a little. Just a little? That's not... 
weird to me at all. I'm not. <laughs> all right, maybe just for like a kinky scene here or two. Okay, I can I can handle that. Though I will admit, due to my upbringing, like kinky religious scenes are like the weirdest to me. Oh no, you don't have to be involved. Okay. But yeah, I think I don't know. Just it's, it seems cool. Okay. So there's one last thing I'd like to talk to you about, which is, so the background to the the story is that there is this essentially a civil war, much like the American Civil War, between the central worlds and the independents. And the central worlds went out over the independents, so everybody gets unified under the central worlds called the Alliance. And here's the question I want to ask you. Do you think the independents were good guys or bad guys? What was the context of their war? Because I didn't really, I didn't figure out. They did show a couple of flashbacks. So they don't really flesh out the war at all. They don't. Mm -hmm. So I don't really know what they were fighting for. Besides, Uh, I know the Alliance wanted to unify these people and the other people, they didn't want that. Yeah. And generally speaking, like people, People who watch the show are very sympathetic to the independents because both Malcolm and Zoe fought for the independents and they're protagonists. And they're the protagonists, yeah. And they're protagonists, so we kind of... And also we see the alliance doing, like, generally horrible things things. to River. And also, like, you know, they're doing things like enforcing laws and, like, you know, kind of being shitty to the small... Right, but what were the independents? Like, this is what I'm not sure about because they don't really talk about it a lot. Yeah, but... The thing is, so the Killer Angels, as far as I know, it's the point of view of the Killer Angels is from former soldiers of the Confederacy. Right. Which is what Malcolm and Zoe would be in this situation. Yes, but we can't conflate the two. This is my thing. I'm trying. Yeah, we can't. Yeah, I don't want to conflate the two. But also, we get very little pushback on the alliance from either Anara or Shepard, or Simon. Simon dislikes what the Alliance did to his sister, but he doesn't, like, rail against Alliance control or Alliance government. Like, everybody who seems to be, like, the most educated people in the cast, Mm -hmm. which is why I highlighted Anara, Shepard, and Simon, they all, generally speaking, seem to be fine with the Alliance government government methods. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting theory that I saw quite a few years ago about the possibility that maybe, like, the independents weren't as good as we think they are. Again, it's impossible to say because, again, yeah. they don't actually flesh out this fictional conflict because it is only just background to the current story. Yeah, so I really can't answer your question because, and I didn't really have a big opinion about it because they don't really flesh out any of that. Mm-hmm. So there's no way for me to say who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. And to be quite honest, my take on war is that all war is bad. And, you know, I'm a pacifist, blah, blah, blah. There's really no... There's never really a good, quote, guy and a bad, quote, guy. There's just one per, one side that is struggling in this way, another side that's struggling in this other way. And, of course, sometimes you're like, okay, this cause is worth this tragedy. And I get that. Like, in our past, there's certainly been those things that have been worth saying, this this is worth the tragedy of war right now. Mm-hmm. 
but I can't say whether either side that was worth it, which is the question that I would ask, not really who's good or bad, but more, was it worth it for one of them? And I can't say that. Okay. Well, I think this has been a very fun episode. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, Is there anything else you want to bring up before we start uh, heading to our shout outs and call to actions? I don't think so. I'm looking forward to watching the movie Serenity with you. Okay. And possibly something that I had been tossing around and maybe some of our audience listeners can get back to us. Maybe we could do like a live watching of it where, you know, we watch it and I give my feedback and reactions as it goes on. And you as well, obviously. Okay. It'll be my first time watching it, so. All right. Yeah, that definitely is something we could do, uh, possibly, if people are interested in that. But first things first, I want to give a shout out to Priscilla, who is our very first person who has ever tipped us using the link at the bottom of the show notes. Uh, She is from Melbourne, Australia. I want to give a big shout out to her and also hope that she's doing okay because of these wildfires that are happening in Australia. Yeah, let's just give a shout out to everybody in Australia right now. (laughs) We send our love. Yes, I really hope you're all doing okay down south. I'd also like to give a shout out to Sloan for giving us really good feedback on our previous episodes and also for the Mulan episode. So if you'd like more content from us, you can tip us also using the link at the bottom of the show notes. And we would super appreciate it if you would. It keeps us afloat here. And also, if you could share our podcast with anyone who might be a friend an enemy, a frenemy, anything in between, a frenemy with benefits. <laughs> uh, we'd, we'd really appreciate it. This is G. This is M. Don't be afraid to love how you love. Love what you love. And love who you love. If you'd like to get in touch with either M or myself, you can tweet us at KMP Podcast. You can find us at kmppodcast.tumblr.com or you can email us at kinky.nerdy.poly at gmail.com. So do you think you could... Could you follow the story even though you've not watched yeah, any other... I, mean, I I could understand the story like as a standalone thing. I just accepted that there was stuff from the past I didn't know 100% of, but because Star Wars is like this cultural phenomenon, yeah. I was able to fill in some blanks pretty easily. Yeah. Like, Luke whatever his face is. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Obviously, I know who Luke whatever his face is. I can tell by the fact that you explicitly know his name. <laughs> right. And I know Princess Leia. Yes. Uh, For a second, I thought you were going to go with Princess, whatever, whatever. her face is. <laughs> no, um, she's also Princess Cinnamon Bun. <laughs>